0: I do know cases where departments have got by for a long time being understaffed and then a fire occurs and uh, somebody who makes a big stink about it, and maybe they're politically connected, maybe they're movers and shakers in the community and then all of a sudden people take a closer look at the fire department. los angeles this is code three the firefighters podcast hosted by award-winning journalist scott Orr. code three features interviews with leading members of the fire service discussing firefighting strategy tactics and other topics you need to know more about now here's scott
1: that's right and i will not let parkinson stop me thank you for joining me again for another edition of code three You are listening to the show forehand about firefighters. Let's get started. Once upon a time there was a really cool video game called Sim City. The goal was for a player to build up his city by adding improvements to it. But if you simply went wild and added everything you could want, the tax rate would go up and the Sim citizens would get angry. On the other hand, if you didn't have enough amenities and services, bad things like crime sprees, traffic jams, and fires would cause a mess in your city. I think of that game from twenty five years ago whenever the topic of fire protection versus cost comes up. It was really disappointing to see a thriving Sim City suddenly lose a block of buildings. It was really disappointing to see a thriving Sim City suddenly lose a block of buildings because not spending money on the fire department seemed like a worthwhile gamble. That's the problem, though. It only works for so long until it doesn't. Many career fire departments have just three firefighters on an engine instead of four. Or they get along with fewer fire stations than they really need, because the city is grown, but residents don't want to pay for another house, apparatus, and staff. There's got to be a better way to convince people that fire protection is a worthwhile place to spend money. Here to discuss that with me is Richard Marinucci. He's the executive director of the Fire Department Safety Officers Association. He retired as chief of the Farmington Hills, Michigan Fire Department in 2008 after a quarter century in the job. He's a past president of the International Association of Fire Chiefs. And Rich Marinucci joins me now. Welcome to Code 3.
0: Hello. Thanks for having me.
1: Why do you think so many communities just don't want to pay for the fire department they need?
0: Well, I think it's just a dollars and cents issue. I think firefighting is labor intensive if you want to do it properly, which means you got to have human beings to do the work. It can cost a, a lot of money. I think there's been some challenges all across the board, whether it's career service or combination departments or volunteer departments, uh, getting adequate staffing to make this happen. So. It all comes back down to people's willingness to pay uh, the freight to make this happen.
1: Do you think part of the problem is an unwillingness to accept that they're in danger of fire? It's sort of like spinning the wheel and hoping that it doesn't end up on your number.
0: That's a big part of it. I I don't think anybody expects to have a fire today anywhere in America. Uh, They don't think it's going to happen to them. So their willingness to pay for a service that they don't think they're ever going to need And then on the other side of that, there are some people say, well, I have insurance, so if it happens, I'm covered based upon a policy that's gonna replace what I have. Unfortunately, we know that there are certain things you can't replace, certainly all human life, but there are other some intangible things that uh, we collect throughout our our time on this earth uh, that can't be replaced either. And also, we don't understand not just the individual that has problems, but what it can do to a neighborhood or sometimes in even a larger community, uh, when you have damage done by a fire and what it can do to property values and so forth. So it could be one of your neighbors, three, four, five doors down. It's not easy to just uh, bulldoze and replace instantly. It takes time. So there are some ramifications to the quality of life, but uh, I think you're absolutely correct in that most people don't see that happening to them. So therefore, uh, they don't understand why they have to pay. For it.
1: In your experience, does there inevitably come a time when reality catches up with the lack of resources? Well,
0: I think this happens every day. I think if you watch the reports that come out on fires across the country, I think with the Internet and social media and everything else, you do get to see a lot of fires that happen. But you, you do see cases where there's inadequate staffing at the initial part of the fire. When you, If you had the people getting there with the right resources, that the outcome would have been much different. There's two things that are critical. It's not just about staffing, but it's also response time. I think they're definitely related. You have to get the resources needed in the time that that you can make a difference. So if you show up with one guy and you have a really good response time, it's not gonna matter. You don't have enough resources to put the fire out. If you have 30 people that it takes you 30 minutes to get there, you're still gonna burn the building down. So you have to get there in the time frame that's necessary to to really make a difference. And recently uh, watched a fire where there was a closed fire station that was six minutes closer. So instead of one building on fire, now there were three buildings on fire. Had that initial station been staffed properly and got there six minutes earlier, uh, there's no doubt it would have been one fire instead of
1: three. And that is definitely a reality in some communities. I lived in a smaller city where they had brownouts of stations from time to time for staffing. And, of course, there would be some incident that happened near that brownout station. And the fire chief said, one of these days, I have a nightmare that somebody's going to die because we just didn't have people in place. So, you have that half of the situation. Then you have the other part that you mentioned. You had units running with three personnel per engine, which some places do, but then they have to send a lot more apparatus overall to make up the number of staff on scene. There are plenty of understaffed departments out there. In fact, I'd be willing to bet there are more that don't meet the NPA standards for manpower. Then do. So, is it really a problem if they don't?
0: Well, it depends on whose house is on fire. If
1: it's, uh, <laughs> if yeah, it's, it's your still, house, it matters.
0: Right. When it happens, uh, you know, and it depends on what part of uh, the community or, or when it occurs. You know, I do know cases where departments have got by for a long time being understaffed or, or not adequately staffed. And then a fire occurs, and uh, somebody who makes a big stink about it—maybe they're politically connected, maybe they're movers and shakers in the community—and all of a sudden, people take a closer look at the fire department. And you start to explain to them that, well, uh, this is the resources that we had available, but it takes this many to really make a difference in in this type of fire. You know, you can put certain types of fires out with minimum staffing. Um, you know, you get a food on a stove that's uh, just starting to catch the cupboards. You know, it doesn't take a lot, but if you start getting a little bit more than a room and content going. You're going to need the right number of people, and it's not hard to figure that out. When you talk about how many it takes to move a uh, fire hose around, and if you want to do the proper ventilation support work that's necessary uh, to do the things you need to do to throw ladders, etc., you start to collect uh, uh, the, the information that tells you you need you know, more than three people to show up.
1: That's true. If a department really can't be fully staffed, whatever that means to them, whatever the numbers are, what can they do? Historically, now, firefighters just suck it up and keep going because that's that's what they're expected to do. But there's got to be a solution somewhere to the problem before somebody gets killed in a fire. And then there are media reports about firefighters were five minutes away or whatever, and the response time was too slow, and then the problem gets fixed. But if they can't do that, what can they do?
0: Well, I think it takes continual education uh, of uh, the policymakers, the community at large, uh, so that uh, we're a little bit more upfront with what the capabilities are of an organization. I think there's a tremendous amount of pride in the fire service, and I think even departments that are uh, understaffed will continue to say, look, we're, we're able to do a lot of good things even with our staffing, but understanding what your limitations are and making sure you continue to communicate what those limitations are give the people that ultimately control the purse strings uh, a choice of what they want to do, and I think tactful and diplomatic ways to present that information. You're not going to be argumentative or or give a different uh, appeal to it, or you're not going to do it, but you are going to present the facts and say, if this building across the street catches fire, I am going to need X number of bodies to show up in this amount of time if you want me to make a difference. And uh, that's, that's essentially it. And I, I think we have to uh, be factual, not make excuses, and understand that you know if you're going to send a limited number of people to fire, that you're not going to be able to do the same thing. It would be like trying to play uh, a football game with not, without enough players, right, or a baseball game. You know, would you be able to get somebody out? Sure, if you got a good pitcher, you can probably only have three guys in the field or something. Eventually, they're going to hit a ball that you're going to catch. But the reality of it is you're not going to win too many games. I think that's somehow what we've come to when you're inadequately staffed. Are you going to have some successes? Certainly you can do that uh, depending on uh, what the fire is. But uh, day in and day out, not having enough people, ultimately you will uh, have some failures in the system.
1: Maybe that's part of the problem, the fact that, that firefighters work so hard to do the job anyway that when they're successful without enough staff, people say, yeah, but you did you did just fine on that fire. What's the problem?
0: You're absolutely right. I think we do enjoy a tremendous amount of success. It It's relatively small percentage of people's responses where you separate the good quality departments from the people that are just getting by. It's not every call. I mean, when you think about even everything that firefighters do, if you even get you dabble into the medical field a little bit and you say, somebody's having trouble breathing, I go there and I can put oxygen on them and I can transport them to the hospital, and basically that's what happened. Now if that person's having a significant problem or goes into cardiac arrest, if I don't have the right tools, if I don't have a defibrillator, if I don't have enough people to, to perform CPR or a machine or, or administer the medications that are necessary, they have zero chance of recovery or of, of being resuscitated. And I think that's the same situation, but you don't go on a cardiac arrest every day. Um, So there are a lot of calls. If you go to a vehicle fire, they're taking that car to the junkyard when it's done anyway. So whether you send one guy or 20 guys to a vehicle fire, probably the result's going to be the same. But there are going to be that percentage of, of, of fires where you really do need to be staffed and. Uh, unfortunately, there's this belief that if you only have one or two of those a year, you, you don't need to staff for that. So you don't get the response that you need when in those couple of cases that you really would benefit from adequate staffing.
1: Let's take a short break from the interview so I can ask for your help. Don't worry, it won't cost you anything. You enjoy this show. I know you do because you're listening to it. So would you please do me a favor and tell someone about Code 3? Just tell one other person. Could be the probie in your house or the company officer. Whomever you think will get something out of the interviews I do. Or you can put it on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Whatever you like, just spread the word. I'd be grateful if you did. And thank you for supporting the show that supports firefighters. So where does the responsibility lie here? Is it with the city councils? Is it with taxpayers? Or is it the fire department's job to sell itself better or differently?
0: Uh, Yes, across the board. I think it's all right. But I think the fire department has to do a better job explaining the importance of staffing and what it means to the community and the contributions to the quality of life. And I think you have to be able to explain it in terms that people outside of the business would understand. Uh, When you look at, you go to a a call at three o'clock in the morning, when you don't have adequate sunshine or lighting, how much of a challenge is that? So what do you have to do? Well, you got to provide lighting. Well, who's going to do that? If you don't have the lighting uh, necessary, is it going to take you a little bit longer to deploy your equipment? Uh, How many people does it really take to move a heavy hose around a structure? Uh, Can I pull a hose and get it to some place by myself. Yeah, I probably can do that. Is it efficient, and is it going to make a difference and help if somebody's in danger and I have to deploy that much quicker? You know, So it becomes about that speed of deployment. It's not that I ultimately can't get the hose off the truck, but am I getting it off in the moments that matter?
1: And that goes back to what you said about having a better response time, but also having the right number of people there when they respond. So we're in a position here where we've got to make two arguments, essentially. And I think what happens is communities grow and they outgrow the fire stations they have, and then they say, yeah, but we don't need more. we got plenty of people. Well, therein lies the problem. How do you educate people without being accused of trying to start a fear campaign? You know, the you're all going to die campaign.
0: Well, I think that's, you have to avoid that. I I think, you know, there may have been a time when people try to use those tactics, but I think it becomes factual. And I I had to think that members of the fire service need to work a little bit harder on how to deliver that message. It's not just about your tactics, but it's also about what are you doing to contribute back to the community and why it's important not to have a burnt out structure in the middle of a subdivision or to have a business down for six months because they had a fire or whatever it might be, and understanding the relationship between getting there in time with adequate resources. Now, of course, the fire department also has uh, a big part to play to make sure that they've trained adequately so that when they get there, they're getting the hose off the truck quickly and efficiently, and they're getting the ladders put up in place in the time that it matters. So if they're not practicing and doing the sets and reps that are necessary, they're also stretching out that response time. So fire departments have a responsibility also to practice and be really good at their trade. So I think it's understanding uh, your community, uh, what's important to them and, and figuring out the best way to explain that to people that ultimately control uh, a situation. And it also comes back down to building relationships so that you can have these candid conversations uh, with folks and tell them how your business truly works and that you can uh, explain it in simplified terms that, uh, makes sense to them not just to you
1: i guess it comes down to having credibility the idea that if you say you need this people can rely on the fact that yeah they really do need it they're not they're not just trying to pad their budget
0: you're right i think there's some called street cred you know you gotta have that credibility yeah. and you're you get that in a, in a lot of different ways i think you're experience is a big factor in that and, and what you've been able to accomplish and uh, do throughout your time in this business, but also it's the education and training that you have too. And the fact that uh, you say what you mean and you mean what you say, you do what you you follow through and, and uh, you do begin to build up that trust so that people understand that you're not a fear monger, you're just presenting the facts and you've, uh, through the course of your time in the business, you've established some credibility and... People are going to take that. Now, that doesn't mean they're always going to listen to you because they still have to weigh all the balances of of, uh, providing all kinds of services in a community. But you have to do the best you can and uh, make sure that you understand why you're doing it. And you're not fear-mongering, but you are presenting facts in an an understandable fashion that makes sense to uh, the majority of people in your community.
1: All right, we'll leave it there. Rich Marinucci, thanks for joining me today on Code 3.
0: Well, good luck to you, and thank you for the invitation. I certainly appreciate it.
1: Well, do you have any ideas about ways taxpayers can be convinced to pay for the level of fire protection they need? It's pretty clear that just giving them the facts isn't doing the job. Scaring them probably won't work either. So how can we fix this problem? I'd like to hear from you. Actually, if you have a workable solution, I'll bet a lot of people would like to hear from you. You can leave your comments on our website at code3podcast.com slash staffing. There's links to more info there as well, so check it out. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe.
0: To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.